So we're back in the Bible looking at a story of a man called Elijah. He was a mysterious man who lived uh, often in the desert in wild places uh, 800 years before Jesus was born. So it's a very old account of his life. He was wild. Maybe he was a bit scary. Uh, may have looked a bit like this. This isn't a photo of him, obviously. It's an actor telling the story. And this man, Elijah, did unusual things. He loved God and God had made him a prophet. And a prophet was someone who knew God, who knew God's word, who wanted what God wanted. And, and he told people what God wanted. He gave them God's word. And that's what a prophet did. He was also a man who prayed, the Bible tells us. And when Elijah prayed, amazing things happened. One time somebody came back to life again. Another time a fire came down from heaven. Another time rain, uh, the rain stopped and then the rain started. He was a man who prayed because God had told him to do these things. Now, at the time when he was in Israel, uh, the king was called Ahab and he was married to a lady called Jezebel. And Ahab uh, and, and Jezebel had, had turned people away from God because Jezebel had brought into uh, God's people, into that community, other gods called Baal and Asherah. And the people weren't worshipping just the Lord anymore. They were worshipping idols. And God sent Elijah to tell them to come back to him. That was Elijah's message. Elijah once told everyone in Israel to choose whether to serve God, the Lord, or these other gods like Baal. And there was like a big contest to see which was the real God. And uh, there was a, a sacrifice, an animal that was dead was put on a like a big barbecue. And the idea was that the, the God who was the real God would send fire. And Elijah prayed and God sent fire when before all the other followers of the other God couldn't get the God to do anything. And at that point, everybody said, the Lord is God. We will serve him. Elijah must have been really pleased. But not everyone said that. One person, the queen, didn't say that. In fact, she was really annoyed and, and sent a message to Elijah saying, I'm going to kill you within 24 hours. By this, this time tomorrow, you will be dead. That was a message from the queen, the most powerful woman in the kingdom. How did Elijah react when that happened? What do you think he did? Well, what would you do? What would I do? Well, he ran away. He ran off as far as he could go to another country where he thought he would be safe. But he just didn't stop there. He left his servant behind and then kept running. He kept running into the desert all on his own until he just couldn't go on. He was so weary. And then he saw a tree and he lay down under the shadow of the tree, frightened, sad, wanting to give up. And he prayed. He said, Lord, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. And then he went to sleep. Later, he woke up and he could smell a fire. He could smell smoke. He could hear the crackling of wood burning. And there was a strange man there who gave him some lovely, freshly baked bread that he baked on the fire. It was delicious. Gave him a drink. And he said to him, you go back to sleep, Elijah. Elijah went back to sleep and he woke up and there was this man again. He was an angel, the Bible tells us. 
And he gave him more food. And again, it was delicious. And the man said, God's got something for you, Elijah. You have to go on a long journey. And Elijah set out all alone, still sad, still uncertain. But he knew one thing. God hadn't left him alone. God was with him. And, you know, there's a promise in the Bible that says, God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's a great promise, isn't it? Elijah found it to be true. And we can find that to be true in our lives. Whatever we're going through, whatever's happening, and we can remember that and we can remind one another of that great promise. Well, I hope you uh, enjoyed the story earlier on in the service. It came from uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. And I'd just like to read it again, if I may, from the Bible. It's uh, verses uh, uh, 1 to 9. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. That's the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he travelled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah was a spectacularly successful prophet. He was successful at what he did, being God's prophet, bringing God's word and God's presence to the people of Israel, challenging them, calling them back to faithfulness with the Lord. Then came that showdown we were thinking about last week. Elijah versus the idols prophets, which God was going to answer by fire. Nothing from Baal. The Lord answers Elijah. Fire comes down from heaven. The people say the Lord, he is God. The rain came back. Job done, thought Elijah. I've done what God wanted me to do. The evil in Israel is over. Except for one thing, it wasn't. Ahab and Jezebel were still in place and Jezebel is immensely powerful. She was the one who brought the Baal worship into Israel. So Elijah gets a text, well not a text, a messenger arrives. May the gods kill me if I don't kill you by the end of today. Jezebel had obviously been to uh, the right management consultancy course because it was a smart goal, if ever there was one. Elijah is in pieces. He runs. He runs to Judah, that country in the south, gets to Beersheba and leaves his servant there and goes out himself on his own 
into the desert. And there, Elijah, the prayer man, prays. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He's disappointed. He's exhausted. He's ashamed. He's guilty. And there's this element of honest confession there. So he's open with God. He confesses. We'll think more about that in three weeks time when we're back in Elijah's story again. See, this crisis sends him into solitude. This crisis of health, of expectations, of disappointment. He just can't go on anymore. He's on his own. He's in solitude. He's there with himself. Nothing else. But God is there too. God is in it with him. And Elijah begins to respond to that. Solitude is defined in this way, being alone with yourself and God. And actually, when you think about it, this is actually how you begin the Christian life. This is how you become a Christian. You stop running from God. You stop hiding from God. You know, we've been hiding from God as a race ever since the Garden of Eden. All that stuff we build around us, all the activities we do. And then we realize that God is there. He wants us to know him. Everything is stripped away and it's just me and God for this. And the big story of the Bible is all about that, about a God who made us, who loves us, a God who wants to be with us and us to be with him. And he wants us to reach out to him. He's not far from any one of us, the Bible says. But we hide, we run. We obsess about our stuff, our lives, all the things that we have and we do. And they're ways that keep us away from the one we actually need the most. And why do we do that? Well, back to the Garden of Eden. Why did they do that in the first place? Because something went wrong. There's something wrong. We've messed up. Sin is actually what the Bible calls it. We know God is holy and good. And we see what we're capable of and we're ashamed or we're disappointed or things haven't worked out. He hasn't done what we thought he ought to do. Or we just won't have him in our lives at all because we want them for ourselves. And then a moment comes. Maybe for many people, it's when we are suddenly alone. Maybe we're in a crisis when we really need him. We're desperate and we realize that God is there. And we say something to him. We kind of pray or like the young man in the story Jesus told, the man who ran away, you know, and squandered his living and then came to himself. The Bible says had a moment of realization that he could go back home. It's a time when in the crisis, people realize it's just me and God. And many of us start that way. I've heard many stories of people who at that moment have turned and found God to be nearer to them than they possibly imagined. Not all of us start that way. Some of us get into that, that me and God point through seeing evidence for ourselves. We maybe do some research or we're aware of the life of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the, the resurrection and miracles and things that actually there are good reasons that 
he is who he says he is. And, 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 and we are convinced about the evidence. Or we maybe see Jesus in another person, someone we're close to. And although we may not be feeling all kind of desperate, we realize that we, that person has something that we need and it's Jesus. But however it starts, it begins at that moment when we realize that God is there and we can turn to him. And we pray, we say something, maybe a very simple, a straight blurting out kind of prayer, but we reach out to him and we find that he's there. So becoming a Christian is, is that first meaningful encounter with God. Christian life begins that way, me and God. And nobody else, really. And if you've not started that, you can. You know, there's something called try praying, which is a, a, a little kind of way of, of praying or getting into that me and God moment for the first time. Uh, you could find out about it on their website. It's, we have booklets. You could email us or there's an app. Look for Try Praying. The address will be on the screen and uh, download the app or order a booklet or email us. And that life that begins in that way goes on just as it began. A life to be lived with God. And Jesus tells us we seek God's kingdom first, as we've been thinking in this series. And that's how we start to live that new kind of life. That life that Jesus says is life in all its fullness. He promised it. And in another part of the Bible, it says this. As you received Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So as it started, so it goes on. At the heart of it is me and God. And we keep on going that way. That attitude of, sorry, that attitude of heart and also that activity of being with God. Paul in the New Testament is a great example too as we live that life. He tells Christians to be like him. And he lived his whole life, you know, realizing that Jesus dying on the cross was absolutely everything. He goes on about it all the time. He says, I don't want to glory in anything else except the cross of Jesus. That was so key to him. And the Bible says that Jesus died for us to bring us to God. That's how we can come home to God. That's how we get rescued. And we never forget that. And that's why we have communion in churches. It's so important. We keep in our roots. As we start, so we go on. So this sense of being with God, Jesus and me, as we travel together, includes just that, being alone together with Jesus on occasions. It's a way to seek God's kingdom in my life. It's a way of living in joy. And it goes with those other things we do, those spiritual exercise that grows spiritual muscles to live life to the full with Jesus. Things like prayer, trusting God so that we can live simply, obeying God out of love. We've thought about those things before, about solitude and silence, submitting to God, confessing, taking in his word worshipping him. These are all ways that we live that life to the full with Jesus. These are all things we do. We can only live this way with God by doing them. Jesus did them. Elijah did them. Paul did them. And we do them. 
exercise is something, isn't it? Ideally, we shouldn't need to do it, should we? If we lived, I'm, I'm told, as, as human beings were meant to live, to be moving around all the time, to be active, you know, hunting and, and, and uh, doing our, getting our own food and all this kind of stuff, walking from place to place, then we wouldn't actually have to go to the gym and do exercise. But, but we don't live that way. We live a different way. And so we do exercise. And it's so even as we get older, you know, I, I heard a really sad story uh, last week of an older couple who, um, you know, they live their lives quite happily. You know, they go out, they go to the shops, they go to Haskins for coffee and, you know, they've been moving around all the time. Not, you know, at the gym or anything, but just keeping active and keeping moving, which is a great thing for, for us all to do, even as we get older. And then came lockdown and they were pretty much alone at home, sitting in a chair, watching daytime TV. And it made them really unwell because they weren't able to move around and things got bad. And sometimes I just wonder whether we in our spiritual lives, things like that can happen to us. Things just stop us from doing the kind of the, the regular exercises of the spiritual life. You know, busyness, all this stuff we have to get, exhaustion maybe, looking after the kids, looking after the parents. Lots of things can kind of stop us from that kind of regular spiritual exercise. So we need to exercise spiritually. We need to push against what might stop us. And we're looking in uh, just for a few moments at solitude today. That time alone with myself and God. We're only just going to scratch the surface today, but there will be a, a, an online uh, panel discussion. So look out for that um, if you want to kind of dig into it a little bit more. So it's solitude. You know, even Jesus had to make space for this. It says in Luke 5 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's just think about a few things to, to get us back to that. Time with God, spiritual solitude. First of all, it's not weird. It's not, it's not strange. It's not some kind of super spiritual thing. It's part of the Christian life. As I said, it's how we began as Christians. See it as coming back to that. It's really about more of the same. So you don't necessarily have to kind of live in a cave for days on end or become like some kind of hermit or monk to know what it is to be in solitude, to be alone with yourself and with God. But it can feel weird. It can be a real struggle to get with it. And I think there's a reason for that. Remember Jesus' story about the sower and the seed? God's word is like a seed. And, and as it grows, it can get choked by life's worries, cares, possessions. Or sometimes that word doesn't get deep into us. It just bounces off the surface of our lives. Or Satan takes it away like birds catching seed almost before the seed hits the ground. Well, actually, that last point is important. There is a Satan. We have been rescued from his power. That's why we needed Jesus in the first place. And there is an ongoing battle. It's just how it is. And then, of course, there's sin. What keeps us away from God in the first place? What we're rescued from, that is still part of the way we are as people. I don't know about you, but I find my life can sometimes be like a supermarket trolley, you know, where the wheel wants to kind of 
push me in the wrong direction. I don't know why I always kind of choose those trolleys at supermarkets. It's not as bad as it used to be, but our lives can be like that. It's kind of part of us. And that's why we need to decide to go with God. Because when Jesus comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit helps move our lives in the right direction. But it's always a struggle. That's why we need to decide to go with God, to decide to submit to him. Now, naturally, I don't know about you. Naturally, I don't want to submit to God much. But submission means I say yes to God and no to me. We need to learn. I need to learn to embrace God's rule in my life, God's way, because it's good. He's good. And there's joy in living his way. So we need to do it like exercise. That Nike uh, um, brand slogan, it was a great thing for exercise. Just do it. You have to go to push against all this stuff and do it. And these ways of living with God are like spiritual exercise. We need to just get and do it. Well, how do we do it? Well, it begins surely by turning off everything else. Silence is part of it. Now, there was a day when we'd say, well, turn off the music, turn off the computer, turn off the television, turn off the phone. Well, now all we have to do is turn off the phone or, or, or put it somewhere because everything is on the phone. But you get the point. We need to silence from that stuff. Silence from the stuff that's going round in my head. Get to a place where it really is just you and then turn to God and say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to say to me? That's the heart of it. And it can be a small and simple thing. There's something called examine. We did it in the church a few years ago. It's a very simple thing. It takes two or three minutes at the end of the day. Maybe as even as I used to do it, just as I was lying in bed before I went to sleep. You welcome the Lord. You say, Lord, I just want you now to come in and speak to me. And you think about the day and you kind of think about the day with the Lord. And you think, where did I know the Lord really working today? Where, where did I miss him? When did I feel that he wasn't there? And you kind of turn it over. And if you need to say sorry, you say sorry. You say thank you. You say thank you. And then you say, help me if you need it. And you say good night. It's a little thing, but it's a moment of space, a moment with the Lord. You can be alone with the Lord in a busy place. Um, I've had experiences like that. I, I had seven years commuting from uh, Warwick to London on a train uh, in the mornings and evenings. And I found that in the morning there was a bit between Warwick and Banbury where I, I just thought that's my that will be my space. And I, I read my Bible. I'd say, Lord, here I am. Here you are. And that was the place I found. Uh, and it's just how it works for me. You might find something quite different. Or there's a space, a place where you just go. Like a, a, a particular place um, could be in a church, I suppose, if you, you get there. All those bit hard these days. Or just a place in your house. Maybe it's just a regular chair that you sit in for a few moments where you say, Lord, it's me and you. Here I am. It's alone with yourself and with God. Or it might be a walk. I've talked about walks before. Now, I find when I go on a walk, I, I can go on a walk and I can go on a walk. And sometimes I think, oh, actually, 
have to intentionally say, okay, Lord, I'm on the wall now. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm just going to think about you and, and kind of consciously welcome the Lord into that kind of space. And that turns a, a, a meaningless walk into something which is a time intentionally with the Lord. Or maybe you could try a longer period, maybe a whole day uh, that you can take space to be with the Lord. Some people will go on, on longer days. I went on a silent retreat in 2016. It was for five days. It was an interesting experience and a good experience. Um, I went to Lee Abbey. You can Google them. They do uh, retreats of different kinds and lots of places do. It's time alone with God, just being with him. And it needn't be kind of prayer or Bible reading or, or anything for Elijah's. In Elijah's case, I mean, it was a, a place where he came in crisis into solitude. Um, but he needed food. He needed rest. Uh, he needed uh, a walk. Um, sometimes we just need creativity. Sometimes we need that space. That's what Sabbath is all about. Time to be uh, refreshed in God's presence. Was Elijah praying nonstop on his walk to Mount Horeb? No, he wasn't. I don't think so anyway. But was he with God? Yes. So find that time. Find that space. Find that silence. Doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to go on for a long time. And it starts in your heart. That's where it starts. That turning towards the Lord, saying, Lord, it's me and you, the Bible or whatever. We'll talk more about the word in this context later in this series. And if you've never come to know Jesus for yourself, if you've never come home to God, then you can. Don't forget that try praying possibility. Or you could join one of our Alpha courses. There'll be another one starting very soon. Email us at the address below and we'd love to put you in touch with that. And look out for the panel discussion. Now let's continue in prayer and worship together.